Season three, where we run the gamut on all things good artists, good bands, and good albums, all nominated by your intrepid and adventurous and handsome hosts of Pod Like a Hole. This is Mark. I'm always joined by my two other co-hosts, which I will very soon be introducing So if you're not familiar with what we do here, season one, we talked about Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor and all things that Trent Reznor happened to touch and look at. Season two, we talked about David Bowie, and we did it in a new format, in random order, by rolling what we called the Diamond Dice. But in season three, instead of spending all season talking about one artist or band, we decided to each nominate 14 of our favorite acts and pick an album from one of those acts. Last episode, we talked about Pink Floyd's The Wall in two mega-sized episodes, and I myself, Mark, nominated Pink Floyd for this go-around. And then we rolled those diamond dice from season two, which carried over into Running the Gamut, and we landed on Stephen Chambers' Prince's Purple Rain, and uh, this is going to be exciting because it's kind of a different genre for us to talk about tonight and certainly a different artist. Uh, and uh, it is only fair that I now introduce you to our captain. Oh, captain, my captain. That would be Stephen Chambers for this episode. Stephen, are you out there? Good evening. Yes, I'm here. Yes. In this uh, this third season. Um uh, I, you know, we, 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 we came up with all these albums that were like our favorites, but even though some of us are approaching four, we're actually all approaching 40, I'll be 40 in less than two months. You still, you know, the, uh, uh you never, you never just stop and rest in your laurels when you're a music nerd. And I am not a lifelong Prince fan as we're all going to hear tonight as we probably get a lot of details wrong. If there's any, you know, Prince fans that stumbled upon this this episode because they just searched for Prince podcasts. Uh, you know, I'm sure the the typical podcasts like Let's Go Potty and uh, Pottle Rain and I Would Pod for You and uh, Take Me with Pod, among other podcasts that just use track names from this album. This this is a uh, we're not as well versed in Prince as David Bowie or Trent Reznor or Pink Floyd. But that's also the point. Something that's new for us, and and or recently something that blew our minds. I think that there's even a, a a a reason to get around the campfire and talk about that as much as there is hearing us talk about when we bought Pretty Hate Machine in 1993. Yes. No. I'm. 
I, I the, what has made me most excited about this season is the fact that we are going to be delving into artists and bands that we don't necessarily know like the back of our hand. And so um, this is our first real introduction to that theory. And uh, I expect it's going to be uh, a very lively conversation in our own way. And uh, yes, thank you. This is going to be great. So I mean, yes, I expect, I expect, I expect negative reviews. I expect people yelling at their iPods or iPhones or Androids. I want some emails saying that, no, you know, it was a, 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 this song was actually written about this girlfriend, not this girlfriend. No, not the sister of that other girlfriend. You know, that's fine. But what we can all agree on is it's a great album that we're going to talk about tonight. And there you are. Hi, I'm Eric. Uh, also here. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. Uh, and I, by the way, Steve, just to comment on something you said, I like the the image of a of a listener shouting at at an iPod, like that they're still using iPods and like stuffing them full of pod. It's like they're called podcasts, not phone casts. Anyways, yes, that's my, no, uh, that's my joke. That's my little punch up for your for your opening. My 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 coworker who's a my uh, brother in music and totally opposite in politics. Like this guy, if you were to take the metal Stephen Chambers and also uh, the 80s, 70s rock Stephen Chambers, that, that's it's, it's like if you cloned me. But then also he's right next door to Alex Jones. It's uh, quite a relationship he and I have. I only bring him up because he has an iPod and he swears by it, which probably is some kind of weird Alex Jonesian, you know, if you have an iPhone, the frogs will make you gay kind of thing. So an iPad's uh, one step removed from uh, Skynet. That's right. iPods uh, can't track you, man. Uh, you don't have to put uh, tinfoil in your in the lining of your hat when you uh, are listening to an iPod. But we all know that the two of us, we probably have at least a couple people in our lives that would prefer to listen to their podcasts on vinyl if it was available. We all know that person. That's right. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. That, that, well, that does get, remind me of the though, pops, well, the hisses. Yeah. Well, I'm speaking of Alex Jones, which is this is a bizarre segue. It is uh, interesting to note that this will be the last podcast we record before the election. And uh, I find it interesting that our two episodes of the new season before the election are The Wall, which is about a fascist. And then uh, this one's uh, it's about a lot of things, but it's written by an African-American fellow who was a crossover sensation. And between both of those things, I'm sure they would both really annoy the current president. So let's get him out of there. That is uh, my only Christmas wish this year. Um, I'm really hoping by the next time we record... That we're not just all like, oh, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the doors. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like we, we hope it's going to be like, all right, let's talk about the doors because we might be able to continue doing podcasts for a few more years as opposed to, you know, I imagine, I imagine if we go through four more years of this other guy, it's going to, you know, he's going to probably start outlawing, Outlawing podcasts because we can possibly say bad things about them. 
And who God knows what else. All, all joy will just God, go away. I just I feel like food in the air. Uh food's gonna taste better, air is gonna smell cleaner, uh the sun's gonna shine brighter, like everything is just going to just be lifted. Uh but you know. I think my hopes and my expectations are a little too high, but man, am I just hoping for a change? Yeah, so hoping for something besides constant exhaustion. Oh man, be great. Yeah, yeah. Or or refreshing Twitter for jokes and funnies, and 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 not uh, what other uh, abysmal nonsense has hit the news in the last five minutes. Exactly. Be great. <laughs> just, uh, 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 so. Getting to the point of the evening. Yes, I picked Purple Rain. I added it to my list. And boy, our lists were something before we edited them down. Um, and I've actually many times been like, oh, I hope we have a season four because uh, there's I'm already I'm already wishing we were able to cram more into these lists that our listeners don't know exactly who's on the or what albums are on the list. But you should know by now who's on the list. And Prince was on the list. And yes, Purple Rain's kind of uh, basic, if you will. This is like if we did just one album for Nine Inch Nails, we did The Downward Spiral. Or if we did just one album for David Bowie, we did Ziggy Stardust. Or if we did just one album for The Beatles, we did Sgt. Peppers. Or if we did uh, just one album for Insane Clown Posse, we did The Great Malenko. You know, I get it. All classic records. All of them. But... All of them. Yeah. All the uh, top, you know, <laughs> in the Smithsonian, they all go. But there's a reason that sometimes the easy answer is the correct answer. And I feel if you're going to be talking about Prince, this is the album to go to. And also, I believe it's 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 next door to what we already kind of talk about in a way, which we'll get into when we go into to the track by track. If I were to take, you know, one of his more avant garde albums, one of uh, you know, one of his more freestyle early aughts, late nineties kind of jazz fusion records, which there is one there. That would be a bridge too far. I think this was the, uh, the right choice. And also personally, the reason I picked it is because this album uh, had a big effect to me uh, this year. The last few years I've been listening to Prince more um, when he died, like many people, which I'm sure happened with David Bowie as well. I dived into his discography like I never did before. I thought about him more than I ever thought about him before. I was always a, a fan of the idea of Prince. Um, my aunt definitely listened to him a lot in the 80s when I was around. She was probably in her early 20s, late late teens, early 20s in, in, in the 80s, which is perfect for a Prince fan. And I definitely was, the, you know, I there would be, she'd be listening to Madonna. She'd be listening... Prince, she'd be listening to, uh, I don't know, Eddie and the Cruisers, which is a movie, but you get my point. And I, I kind of got caught some of it by proxy there. Uh, I, I definitely was influenced by his presence in the Batman movie, which probably happened to many kids our age. And he was always kind of around. And I always heard about him more than I listened to him, I think. But when he died, I made it a point to, to listen to him more. And then earlier this year, and I probably mentioned this in the podcast before, and I'll mention it again more later. When my fucking dog died, for whatever reason, uh, and actually quarantine, uh, 
listening to Prince became something I just started doing more. So it all just made sense to me that I'd like to talk about this record for this season. And that also kind of summarizes my history with Prince. Uh, my aunt listened to him. Batman, the Tim Burton movie, definitely he was a, a, a part of that whole thing. And uh, when he died, I, I kind of dove in more. Uh, Eric, what's your what's your Prince history? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that have been around. I know um, growing up, my parents' best friends lived across the street. I feel like every Friday night, we get pizza, we go over there, and my parents would have a party with them. And, and they, they were big Prince fans, and they would and they would put on whatever album. So I always knew I, you know, it sounded like fun music um, without doing a without a lot of knowledge. You know, as a kid growing up and being aware of MTV and pop music, um, you know, it, for a while I think I probably thought, okay, you know, he's just kind of like a, you know, just definitely one of those, you know, pretty pop star kind of things. And then I. You know, my parents got Rolling Stone magazine, and as early as I cared about music, I would dig into those articles, and then I was like, wait, no, this guy's like a super respected musician. So that kind of piqued my interest. Um, so anytime a song would come on, you know, I'd definitely be listening for that. Although I would say this is the first time I've jumped in with a critical ear, but, um, you know, every time a song would come on the radio or at a wedding, you know, I, I, I definitely really like it. Um, actually, those, those family friends gave me a Purple Rain comic book. Uh, growing up that I'll, I'll get into later when we talk about the movie. Um, but I, I think I, uh, I've always, uh, yeah, I've always definitely enjoyed him and um, I look for I look forward to this opportunity to dig in a, a, a little bit deeper. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I, all of his singles, obviously, we all heard them our entire lives. He was a pop superstar and especially in the 80s and for the early 90s. Yeah, you can't. You couldn't escape him. And it, it's interesting that his his singles were earworms. But when you dug into them, he was still doing way more in those songs than I think his contemporaries that were on the record racks were were doing on their tracks. It's uh, it's pretty impressive what he would bury in a pop song that would be top forty. Uh, Mark, what what is your relationship with Prince? Um. When I was growing up, it was relatively along the lines of uh, a couple different things in pop popular culture. Um, I, I was aware of him. I was always under the impression that he was essentially like a Michael Jackson figure who could play the guitar. And that's completely off base. But in terms of just their pop stardom. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate to interrupt you. I only will to agree with you. I definitely think that he... Oh, you know, he saw what Michael Jackson was doing, especially when Beat It or Thriller, uh, the whole crossover element there. And he's like, I could fucking do that. Sure. So that definitely I mean, was part of it. He was absolutely, you know, reaching for the pop stardom and becoming an, an icon. But it was relatively along the same lines as being introduced to him through Batman 89. Um, you know, Party Man, Trust, those particular songs. I. I can't help but uh, whenever I do think of Prince, I do think of Jack Nicholson's The Joker tearing up that art museum and then dancing on the parade float.
And it, it, that, Fritz has no business being in that movie, but it works so damn well. It's amazing. Yeah, if you, we don't have time to go into it tonight, but if anybody does, uh, if you've never read up the history of how he got involved with that record, which was through the uh, director of Purple Rain, kind of made a matchmaker there. Um, he took it for all it was worth, and I think that movie's for the better for it. So it's it's definitely look up the history of uh, Batman and and uh, Prince. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, wild. apparently um, Tim Burton was not a fan of the soundtrack, unfortunately, which is kind of in the negative column for me for for Tim Burton because. I can't separate one from the other. It really does bring some levity to that to that movie, and uh, it's a great soundtrack. Sorry, it is. Um, and then the other thing was seeing a joke uh, that was on Animaniacs that was definitely not for kids, where uh, one of the Animaniacs, let's just say it's Wacko or Yakko, one of the two, saying "dust for fingerprints," and the girl says "fingerprints," and you know. She pulls out like a <laughs> uh, a cartoon version of, of Prince. At the time, I was like, "What does that mean?" But looking back, I'm like, "Yeah," because uh, he looks at the the other Animaniac with kind of like this little Prince look, right? And then, of yeah, let's uh, let's uh, put a plug in for the new. Who I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's good. I enjoyed the hell out of that show. Um, and then uh, the last thing, probably in '91, um, he made some. Uh, headlines when he showed up to the VMAs wearing those assless pants. So, yeah, that's actually that's actually one one thing about Prince. If you do, and I'm sure people that are fans for you know the last few decades, if you do your research, the guy had a sense of humor. I mean. When he was wearing those assless pants, it was probably he was trying to be sure. sexy. But um, if you watch interviews with him and uh, just uh, actually in some parts in Purple Rain. But if you if any interviews with him over his entire career, when he when he did make himself accessible because he sometimes was more of a reclusive type. The guy had a sense of humor was very, I don't know, uh, genuine about just uh, he knew that he was this crazy star. But at the same time, he was able to wink at you about it. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, but I didn't really start to appreciate his music until actually I started working at the record store um, in 1999. I had a coworker. Her name was Jackie, and um, she would always put on um, the double box set of uh, Prince. It was kind of like a triple box set if you think about it. It was the very best of. Um, and so, you know, I'd hear cream and uh diamonds and pearls and um get on our uh erotic city um those were kind of more what i was familiar with and just how like great he was just absolutely just phenomenal in terms of just writing these catchy funky pop songs um so i you know coming into this podcast this is the very first time that i've actually heard this album all the way through now i've heard the all, a lot of these songs of course separately but when it comes to listening to a prince album all the way through this episode is my introduction as we were going into it yeah that's uh it's a good it's a good introduction i think it's most people's introductions i'd say that anything from my recent digging in 
uh, the, the stuff from the 80s, you could pretty much listen to the majority of those albums all the way through. Uh, when he got into the 90s and he changed his name to a symbol, all that music that I've heard is still pretty good, but it's not as uh, pound for pound, song for song, as good as the stuff in the 80s. That was definitely, I, in my opinion, his heyday. And uh, speaking of which, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about the history of Prince. But why don't the three of us not talk about it? Let's bring in our friend, the Sly Dog from the Sly Dog Music Podcast. Actually, I am calling an audible, and you will be hearing from the Sly Dog next week in part two of our Prince Purple Rain two-parter. In part two, we will finish discussing the album track by track. You'll see how far we get tonight when you finish this episode. And also, we'll bring in the Sly Dog for a bit to talk about the history of Prince. But for now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. Thank you again, Sly Dog, for coming on Pod Like a Hole. He really did all the heavy lifting for you there, Steve. He did. I hope I hope you guys, for whenever you do an episode about an artist that you don't know the history like the back of your hand, you can find a podcast to tune into that will come on our show. This is a crossover um, episode. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we'll tell when we look at the download numbers, <laughs> but uh, speaking yeah, of crossing over, I mean, Prince looking over the, the kid's shoulder next to you while you're taking a test. It was great. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of crossing over many of the artists that we respect, I mean, that's, that's one thing when it comes to Prince, everybody seemed to be a Prince fan. Uh, if you, if you, uh, I, 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 his his records are in the top 500 of all time. And Rolling Stone probably has like, you know, 10 of them are in the top 100. And, you know, LP is a big fan. Uh, Trent Reznor is a big fan. Uh, uh, The guy from ELO uh, that plays next to him on that Walmart guitar gently weeps video that everybody should watch. Jeff Lynn. Yes. Mr. Lynn, where Prince blows everyone off the stage. You got Tom Petty. You got Prince. You've got uh, who else is in that video? Uh, Somebody. Thank you guys. <laughs> um, they're playing while my guitar gently weeps and Prince comes out and just just shreds, destroys all of them uh, during the guitar solo.
Beyonce, uh, every, you know, who, who's not a Prince fan? And I'm bringing that up for two reasons. One, many of the artists that we like are influenced by Prince and his approach as being a one-man band that could play every instrument. Not only did he know how to play every instrument, he knew uh, he was a virtuoso on almost every instrument, especially the guitar. He also was a production wizard. And who do we think of when we think of a production wizard that can play every instrument when it comes to the pod like a whole podcast? Oh, yeah. T. Reezy. That's right. Trent Reznor. Eric, never call him that again. And check. Did, did you guys happen to uh, read that article that I sent you about Trent Reznor and Prince? I didn't, but I want to ask if, uh, is it the same story where he had an opportunity to meet Prince and um, things did not go to what Trent Reznor envisioned? It's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, Trent Reznor, who thanked Prince in Pretty Hate Machine, which either I didn't know or I knew and forgot. Did you guys know that? I did know that because there is. a Yeah, I remember because he uses a sample in Ring Finger. What sample in Ring Finger? Alphabet City. Ah. He uses it during that that big, uh, la-da-da-da, that part. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, you're right. Yeah, I love that sample. get his hands dirty in the production studio and played every instrument, wrote everything. I, I, Trent Reznor is definitely influenced by Prince. It's undeniable. They had similar approaches to their craft to where they just said, hey, I probably can do this better than everybody else. So while I'll accept collaborators, I am going to be the captain. And uh, apparently Prince wanted to, Prince liked what he was doing in the early 90s. And Prince was really into Broken, which is interesting to me. One of Prince's uh, middlemen said, hey, Trent Reznor, you and Prince, you're both in uh, the record plant right now while you're recording Downward Spiral. And I want to know, would you like to do a remix of a Prince song? And Trent Reznor said, of course. Why wouldn't I? Um, But unfortunately, when Trent Reznor had a chance to meet Prince, Prince showed up with uh, two bodyguards. He came in a limo. He was dressed like uh, 
the Joker, and it kind of put Trent Reznor off. And I, I wonder, Trent, what did you expect from Prince at this time? But that's fine. And then at, at one point later, he passed Prince in the hallway, just the two of them. And Prince, like, just walked by. Didn't even say hello. And Trent said, that's it. I'm going con- to continue buying your records, but I am not going to remix your song. That's the story. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just you, you can't meet your heroes. Um, but I think when we talked about how his uh, meeting with David Bowie went absolutely completely different, I think um, it just goes to show that, yeah, Prince may have been kind of a, a diva, kind of an asshole, kind of above it all. Um, but that's kind of his charm, I guess, if you would say. I mean, he... Mm-hmm. The people who knew him well and the people that he brought into their inner circle. I mean, shit, man. All those uh, Charlie Murphy stories on the Chappelle show. um, It makes Prince seem like this Paul Bunyan, Johnny Appleseed-like figure. And, um, you know, I I don't doubt the veracity of his stories. It just, that's who he was. That's that's his character. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the Kevin Smith spoken word thing a night with Kevin Smith where he's talking about like he had been asked on a whim like on a Friday to show up on a Saturday and film a documentary at Paisley Park and he showed up there and by by Monday the whole project was scrapped but but while he was there he was like oh it's amazing it's like he's it's like a cult compound and 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 everything he says is philosophy and in the best way he's the kind of guy that at 3 a.m. he'll order a camel (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely think that some of the legends we've heard, there's some truth to them. They got to start somewhere. And also, you know, as the we will discuss in the lyrics to the title track of Purple Rain, I mean, if you sometimes if someone who wants to be a leader, they're also going to be kind of a pain in the ass. And uh, I think it took a very strong personality to get done what he wanted to get done. Sometimes that would lead people to successes of their own. And other times that would lead uh, you to pass him in the hallway and he, he doesn't even make eye contact with you. That's, right. That's the way it goes. So. Yeah. I, Kanye thinks he's being all original right now with his like, you know, born again, uh, born again, uh, religious vibe. But I mean, come on. Prince was a, was a, for like five years there, he was knocking on people's door as a Jehovah's witness. He was a Jehovah's witness. And, uh, he could actually, well, now I'm going to sound like an old grizzled State of Jefferson guy if I say, and he could actually sing and play instruments, too. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, Prince, he's the he's the black artist the guys in the State of Jefferson could appreciate. But well, um, put, it on, put it on the poster. <laughs> uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the making of the record and how everybody loved it, and then we'll talk about the track by track in one minute.
late 70s, early 80s, uh, Prince, he, was, he, was, he started out as kind of a solo artist, but he already had guys in his band that he was growing up with. Um, and, you know, working with, you know, Morris Day, who we grew up with. And he had a couple of almost breakthroughs, or actually, you know, he did break through with like a. It was 1999, the song, 1999, which if we want to get back to our history with Prince, uh, Mark, do you remember when it became 1999 and M2 played that for I 24 did. hours? And then I think they even did that again between the 99 to 2K as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pro- sounds about right. <laughs> um, you know, that that album was a kind of a, getting them up there. And so he, put, he puts the Revolution Band officially together. And the revolution was Prince, uh, Wendy Melvion, Melvon, Brown Mark, Lisa Coleman, uh, Matt, Dr. Fink, and Bobby Z. And uh, Wendy was on guitar. uh, Brown Mark was on bass guitar. Lisa Coleman on keyboards. Matt Fink on keyboards as well. And Bobby Z on drums. And they were a mix of people that Prince grew up with and worked with and also some people he discovered like Wendy and Lisa uh, who were very young, by the way, I think they were only 19. Wendy was only 19 when she joined the band and with purple rain, he, he's trying to, he's saying to himself, this is going to be my breakthrough album. I want total control. And he, he, this is, he converts a warehouse in Minneapolis into the recording studio. And this is the first of kind of he, he would start doing this where he would make these recording studios that were also kind of compounds. Uh, Paisley Park later, more famously, is one. But for this, this for Purple Rain, they convert this warehouse in Minneapolis into a recording studio. And he's just recording this thing all hours of the night. He's a madman. Uh, he's doing as many takes as, as it takes. And... This is this is kind of the atmosphere when they were making this album. As a vault nerd like well, I, I am, there's there's some fun stuff uh, to dig into um, in that expanded edition, which we'll we'll touch on briefly yeah. at the end. While he's going through all of this, uh, he's also putting together a movie that is chronicling kind of his life in a Paul Bunyan way, and also is a, kind of a concept album for the or a, a visual representation of the album they're making, which is a concept album. And that film became a massive hit as well when the album came out. Um, I was thinking of a couple of different ways to discuss the movie tonight. I thought about discussing each song and the mini music video that's in the movie about it, but we're going to kind of keep things brief. And uh, Eric, uh, what do you what do you think about Purple Rain, the movie? Oh, it's great. So directed by Albert Magnoli and uh, written by William Blinn and Albert Magnoli. William Blinn just died today or yesterday. So the writer of the film just passed. Um, the movie is... Uh, I've been fascinated since that. My neighbors gave me that comic book because it reads like a superhero origin story, but for Prince. And um, there's boobies and butt in it. And as a developing young boy, you know, what can I say? I went to the top of the closet. Um, 
Yeah. So what, what I think is interesting about this movie is, uh, I mean, it's just a ton of fun. Listen, the acting's not very good. Uh, it's a ridiculous premise. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a showcase. So you can, you can hear Prince and the time and some various other, you know, like Apollonia, some other Prince proteges. What's interesting about that is, as we talked about in the history is vanity was Prince's, uh, for Vanity Six was was Princess Protege, and they they had a falling out. She went her, her own way, and um, and so most of the songs were written about Vanity, and uh, she was supposed to play in the movie. So he pivoted a little bit and changed them up for Apollonia. Uh, fun fact and that, is, and it is worth it worth worth noting right there between those two that has to do also with love interests of his, but also artists, and he was constantly trying to prop others up. And, mm-hmm. you know, make and break other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the whole Minneapolis sound thing. I mean, you got Morris Day in the time. You got Sheila E. Um, mm-hmm. You have a, what was it? The uh, Apollonia herself. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who else was there? There's the, the something six. The Vanity Six. Yep. That, the Vanity, so Vanity six. Yeah. So, and I got to say, it is good that Vanity went her own separate way because then we got Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. One of my favorite films of the 80s. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. It's got Show Nuff, which basically inspired Buster Rhymes' whole whole persona in the 90s. And Vanity is uh, playing one of the most coked out performances I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and it works. That absolutely works. And it's, uh, you know, Bruce Leroy has the, the glow and he's a fantastic martial artist. And if that doesn't catch your attention, well, my friend, you're out, you're, you're out of hope. You're out, yeah. So anyways, uh, that's another music music heavy uh film but the music in that one is by debarge this purple rain music is 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 the is why you watch this thing i mean it's ridiculous premise i mean he he's got he spends millions of dollars on his band and his motorcycle but he lives in his parents basement you know it's uh he's in his mid-20s when he's doing this i mean yeah i mean the the the, it's in the the story is basically the, the he's he's the kid they call him the kid and He's trying to break through. He's playing music at, at these clubs. Uh, Morris Day and the Time seems to be the they are the uh, the uh, the the villains in it, specifically Morris Day and Jerome, and uh, they're also the comic relief. Oh, they, they steal <laughs> every scene. They steal the show, and they're not great actors yeah. either. But just they're they're just no. fully realized characters. Their persona is, is perfect. They're really they're really goofy. They're really fun. Uh, the first time they appear. I don't know if you can get away with this in this day and age, but they just throw a woman in a dumpster. Um, I just, uh, I, I, they, they crack me up in that. And Morris Day's reactions to everything. His laugh is amazing. my home it's it's so exciting in my bedroom i have a brass water bed <laughs> i have an italian cook gino scacagracci or something like that yes. and that's definitely i i'd say uh, i think if not by Prince, many uh, pasty white guys our age, we were introduced by Morris Day 
by uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Jay and Bob, Silent Bob Stripe Back. That's I right. Believe. They played Jungle Love at the end. In fact, yeah. they, and they're re- they're referenced the whole time because basically Jay considers himself more as Day and and Silent Bob Jerome. So that, yeah, that, that definitely that definitely came from this. Uh, but yeah, the, the storyline is there's the kid, there's Morris Day, the kid's trying to become more popular. Uh, also, he's got uh, a family life that his father's a musician, uh, but he's abusive to him and his mom. And Played by uh, Clarence uh, Williams III. Yeah, in, in the movie, they're mixed race, I believe. In real life, they're not. He's, uh, his parents were both African-American. Um, it's a... It's not a so bad it's good movie. It's a just good enough to enjoy movie, but the music makes it awesome. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you won't have to feel too bad about yourself if you laugh at the delivery a few times because the next next the next thing you know, there's just a hot a hot jam pulling you back in. Yeah, it's yeah. a. There's basically a music video for every song in the album. And then, uh, you know, he made a sequel called Graffiti Bridge, Whoa. which I've which never I've watched. Seen. I've seen. I got, <laughs> when I was living in Tacoma, friends of the show, Matt and Mike, uh, got me very drunk to watch that. And uh, I got to say, I I, uh, I I howled with laughter throughout that movie. Um, so, yeah, it's same character. If you really want to see the continuation of the story of the kid and uh, the king... Then you would then you watched Graffiti Bridge and it's made at, at a quarter of the budget with uh, songs that aren't so hot and uh, uh, the whole time it looks like the set's about <laughs> to fall over on him. But uh, yeah, that's very, Graffiti Bridge. Very from what I've seen of it, very direct video. But you do get to see more Jerome and Morris Day, and uh, um, I'm sure there's something in there. So for the you. question about both Your of those um, films, I, I, this may tie into the question that I really have. When he was making Purple Rain, was he envisioning it for a film adaptation or was it something because of the major success of the record, they decided to make a a film accompaniment to it? I feel like, and Steve may correct me on this, but I feel like halfway through the process, they realized it was going to be a film. And so that's why a few songs were scrapped and they, and they wrote, they added a few new songs that fit the story better. So, um, you know, they'd been writing songs. And it was just going to be an album. And then when they decided it was going to be, you know, the, um, you know, a movie and what the story was going to be about, especially stuff like I'm a star and things that really fit the musical, uh, format, they, they, they swapped some tracks out and we'll, and I'll tell you which ones we, they swapped out when we get to them, but well, it does because I want to ask then for the Graffiti Bridge and Under the Cherry Moon, um, did was there accompanying albums to that or were they just considered soundtracks at that point then? I feel like Graffiti, well, Graffiti Bridge was an album. Graffiti Bridge all-timer. gave us the song Kiss, which is an all-timer. Yes, true. Yeah. True. Although uh, you know I'm embarrassed to say that I uh, I feel like I the Tom Jones Tom Jones version of Kiss was oh, the first boy. one I heard. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it definitely. No, you're was. right. It, it's called Graffiti Bridge, and uh, it was a it was an accompanying album and uh, soundtrack album. So that one was fully intended from the beginning to, to accompany the movie. Yeah, and then Under the Cherry Moon came out okay. around the same time as Parade, which that that's how those were connected. Uh, good album, by the way. Um, and uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought because Towns came down here. It's all good. But yeah, thank you, Eric, for that little. 
that was that was the extent, I believe, of his acting career, right? He appeared in a, you know, an episode of uh, New Girl. A very um, good episode of that show, which that show, uh, you know, I enjoy, even though it's adorkable. I do enjoy that show for the most <laughs> part. But there is a great like, episode with Prince in it is fantastic. I did like no, it's a they kind of do a uh, the same thing in High Fidelity with the boss and uh, uh, and John Cusack, right? He, he appears and gives her some advice. Yep. Speaking of the boss, that new album, pretty good. So, Purple Rain. Uh, Mark, yeah, I'd say that the movie, as far as the movie goes, uh, give it a shot. I, I think it's worth watching once. Um, especially after you've, you've you've dove into the album. If anything, uh, Morris Day and Jerome make it make it worth sitting through. And uh, also during the climax of the song Purple Rain, I I, I love his. Well, I don't want no spoilers, but uh, Eric, uh, somebody shows up in the audience and it's so melodramatic and I love it. I do see that it's airing on VH1, right. I think the first week of November. So I'll be sure to maybe check it because it wasn't on any of the available streams as we go into recording date. So um, I'll posthumously after we uh, publish this episode or uh, record this episode that we're doing now, I'll, I'll, I'll take a gander. A force in Minneapolis and the Minneapolis sound, if you will. Uh, he, he's, he's getting these other artists that are, they're like funk meets new wave and synth pop. And, um, you got the time you've got Vanny six, Apollonia six, Sheila E, Jesse Johnson, uh, Maserati, the jets and uh, the revolution themselves could be considered part of this, this, this genre and then Wendy and Lisa from the revolution broke off. He's writing songs for a lot of these people. He's putting them together. Uh, his career later, he would write songs for others. He, you know, uh, manic, uh, what's that bangle song? Uh, just another, yeah, I believe you're right. Manic Monday. Is that it? Yeah. He wrote that. Of course he wrote nothing compares to you, but Sinead O'Connor, his original version is a showstopper. Uh, definitely worth seeking out. This guy can't, he just can't quit. He's make, he's, he's diving into his own album. He's creating music for other people, helping them get their own uh, careers. It's just a uh, nonstop. And uh, at, 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 at the height of his powers is definitely the movie. And this, I'm sorry, this, uh... well, I, I mean, not, not, the process as far as like him starting it as one album, scrapping half of it and replacing them with songs to fit the movie um, that we kind of mentioned. But what I like about it is, um, you know, it definitely is an eighties pop album, a pop rock album. I mean, there's guitar shredding all over this thing, but what, what it, what it makes it stand out in and maybe aligns itself more with um, even like parliament or some like funk stuff is, is um, there's no programming going on. Um, and as much as I like electronic music, um, and I, you know, most of that stuff is just programmed all the way through. Like, this is live. Even the synths. The synths are surprising you. Every other measure, they're doing something a little different. Um, and they're, you know, a lot of it is done as full bands jamming. And, um, and, and which I think is different. A lot of 80s stuff is, you know, while there was a full band playing, a lot of the electronic work was programmed and engineered in there. 
And um, this, you can you really tell the difference and put on a pair of headphones and you're going to hear a lot of surprises. So um, I think that's 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 a signature sound of this album and, and probably his work in the 80s in general. That really stands. Yeah, out. no, the, you know, definitely there's a lot of horns, but a lot of times it's synthesizers. Uh, you know, the rhythm sections are kind of um, produced in a way where they sound a little bit more electronic, even when it is a physical uh, drummer. Um you know, the it's not even though it's funky, the low end, it's not as bass heavy. And we'll definitely get into that on one the song we talk about tonight. And uh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, when you hear it, I I have trouble verbalizing it, but I definitely it's a style of music that really in uh, the late 80, oh God, the late in my late 20s and early 30s. When I was in San, living in San Francisco, um, it, it was funny. It, I worked in two offices. In the first office, I worked with a bunch of guys that were all like hipster nerds. And we all started uh, not tape trading, but if it was the 80s, we'd be tape trading like various avant-garde metal bands and also crazy alternative music bands. Like I really, I really got into some great weird shit at that time. And also it reignited my love of more classical metal. Like there was a Judas priest guy that I'm friends with to this day. And that was awesome. At the other office, it was, it was me and it was Dwayne and it was uh, Andy. Dwayne was pushing 50 or early fifties. Yeah. Probably like 55. And he used to be in a funk band in the Bay area in the seventies. And then Andy was born and raised in San Francisco and he's a Filipino that like that like he used to go to like uh, like not raves but in the 80s like after parties and like break dance parties and shit and there was this radio station called Kiss FM and we would listen to it all day in the office together and between the two of them talking about the songs we were hearing and the style of music it was all like Gap Band uh the, the the brothers Johnson, um, you know, Shaka Khan, Cameo, Debbie Deb, Zapp and Roger, uh, that that was that was that whole genre, and Prince was like the umbrella that a lot of these other artists were around or you know the, the influencing, and uh, I really developed an ear for that sound, and that 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 style of like, you know when they weren't using actual horns they were processed digital horns but still like the intent was there and uh i loved it and i think that was kind of how i eventually started to gravitate to a record like this so anyways uh i wanted to bring up cameo because uh, that music video is great <laughs> yeah you guys got a, the lead that lead singer's got an insane voice I love it. what was that i love the, the lead singer's voice in cameo it's fantastic. Yes. And his cod piece. Um, so anyhow, without without further ado, you know, there was a lot of there 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 was so much drama and build up to the actual storyline of this record that we can't get into it in one podcast. We've actually said before an alternate universe, uh, you know, David Bowie, he died and we did a David Bowie podcast about every album. I'm sure if someone wanted to, they could do a Prince podcast about every record 
and it would take just as long as pod like a whole season two did maybe longer but that's not what we're gonna do we're gonna talk about purple rain and our opinions of it track by track previous records leads to this um if you were to historically look at this album and just google purple rain review your your pitchforks your all musics they're giving it 10 out of 10 they're giving it five out of five at the time rolling stone couldn't believe it they gave it you know the high the highest marks uh, the chicago times four out of four the guardian five out of five the rolling stone album guide i think it has it listed as the eighth greatest record of all time. Uh, every Everyone was saying, this is it. This, I can't believe he's done it. He has taken all these genres and blended them. He still has his funk. He has written these pop songs. A metalhead, if they wanted to, can get into this, and you can dance to it. This is the way of the future. Prince is a massive crossover success. You got Michael Jackson, Madonna... Prince, Bruce Springsteen. Those are the early 80s titans, in my opinion. And now we're going to talk about that record and our opinions on it.
So the album opens with Let's Go Crazy. Eric, did you go crazy when you first heard Let's Go Crazy? Dearly beloved, yes, this this one's funny because it's they play it at, at weddings all the time. But Dearly Beloved is like, uh, we're gathered here today. It's like a funeral, like it's a funeral speech. But anyways, that's that neither, neither here nor there. Uh, it does open with some great like synths rising and spoken word. We're gathered here today to get through this thing called life, electric word life. Uh, and, uh, you know, it gets into it and uh, with ridiculous uh, lyrics like, let's look for the purple banana until they put us in the truck. Um, it's, yeah, it's basically like, hey, world's ending. You know, or our life or tick tocking to the end. So let's let's just have fun. Um, he does bring up the D elevator, which is his concept of the devil. Um, you know, always trying to, to trying to fuck with you. Uh, but you know, uh, essentially, um, you know, there's joy in heaven. So he's all you know. He's he's a spiritual man, and um, he uh, good and evil comes up in his songs a lot. And um, you know. Do what you have to do to to have a good, happy soul. Um, song itself is, uh, you know, hey, let's, let's go crazy. I mean, this song. What's weird in the movie is Morris Day is making fun of him for this song, like laughing at it, like, ah, this is your, this is what you got. The song, I mean, this song's amazing. It's 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 an absolute blast. It sounds huge from, from the get go. Um, synth work is insane. It's just just up and down those keys. I, I imagine a guitar, probably not, but I imagine it. Um, well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, Morris Day mocking it. Uh, Prince's biggest hit that he helped Morris Day in the time write was seven 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 nine three one one, and it. And I'm I, I read this and then I went back and looked at it. It definitely this song could be the spiritual successor to that. So I you should go back and listen to that track mm. followed by Let's Go Crazy, and it's mm. even funnier that Morris Day in the movie gives him shit for it. That's funny. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, it's a great way to, it's a great way to open a track. It's all, you know, it's a lot of fun and, um, you know, you're listening to some eighties pop, but then the music surprises you over and over again. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. Let's get nuts. Let's look for that purple banana. It is an excellent track one. Um, that dearly beloved <laughs> man. Um, I want to say, uh, it was a couple years ago when all of the nonsense of the, uh, the kneeling at the national anthem. Someone on Twitter said, if you could change the national anthem, what would you, how would it start? And someone said, dearly beloved, we are gathered today. And I could just picture this being our national anthem. It is a great song. <laughs> when those drums kick in uh, right after that eulogy, you know, just get out of town. Um, that drum sound, it, uh, it definitely makes it feel like it's not, uh, a full album in the or a full sound. Uh, it's, it's certainly a drum machine, but you know, I, I'm definitely here for it. I think it's fantastic. Um, this song, how it just ramps up and it uh, really emphasizes and just, yes, we're all going to die. It's best to live your life at its fullest to, to Eric's point. And even though it starts as a funeral eulogy, it kind of kicks it in the ass and says, well, no need to be, all sad and sardonic about it. Let's have, have a good old time. Let's go crazy and have some fun. Great song. Um, I'm ready to go with it. And I feel that it is sort of ironic that he was talking about getting brought down by a D elevator and the man himself was 
died in an elevator. <laughs> so it, it is one of those things that, uh, yeah, Ooh. he telegraphed Ooh, it. He called yeah. his shot apparently as <clears throat> Matt. Ooh, yeah, boy. exactly. <laughs> but great song. I love this. Decades song. of war. <laughs> one thing, uh, one thing on the, just kind of the, it's this is not a theme album um the movie obviously has a story and some of these songs work for those moments in the story but mostly it's just a collection of great songs that his band plays in the movie you know like the it's this is not opening the story of purple rain um it's just a great song that his band plays in that movie so um i just wanted to mention that this is not a theme a, a, a concept album yeah, I, I love uh, that organ. That's a great, great opening sound. A very traditional instrument that's then just swarmed by all these very modern production techniques and, and other instruments dumped on top of it. But that that whole dearly, dearly beloved section where, you know, he says this thing called life and, uh, you know, the, 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 the afterworld. And that's a, it's a mighty long time. That phrase, this thing called life. I love that because it kind of has this like sarcasm to it that I can imagine on, I, I don't know, like maybe actually like new girl years later, you know, just the whole, that whole opening section sounds like something that somebody that thinks they're pretty witty would like say in the nineties or the early aughts. But this guy is giving this little sermon in the early eighties. And I, I, I find him to be even ahead of his time, not only in the music he was writing, but also his attitude and his, his, his sarcasm there. Um, you guys are right in the money. I think it's a great, great opener. Can't really deny it. Um, there's neither of you mentioned the guitar shredding that happens at the end of the song. And it's one of the many times where this guy just picks up a guitar and he just shreds and will bleed your face off. Uh, there's so many good solos buried in the mix on this album. And this, this is one of them. Uh, I think it's a a great track that introduces you to the melting pot that you're going to deal with on the majority of these songs. And to your point with the, the drums, Mark, um, they kind of take you into the next track, which uh, is, is track two, which is Take Me With You.
let's go crazy. Like at the end of that song, I I kind of need a shower, and in in a good way. Like I've just had a, a great sweaty party. But then there's another side to to, to Prince, which is the kind of the mid tempo. Let's get happy song. And that's what I think Take Me With You kind of is. And Mark, what do you think about Take Me With You? Which also, I might add, on this album is the first of a few tracks that have a ridiculous text spelling. Like U is just the letter U. And Prince would continue that stuff for the rest of his career. That's true. Yeah, um, that is worth calling out. Maybe he was the originator for that. Um but it is interesting because this song, it does start like it's a fighting, fighting montage uh, with it's got like Cirque du Soleil style drums. <laughs> <laughs> and then it transitions into that pop duet. And uh, to that point that you made, it sounds like a very poppy, airy song. But at the beginning, it sounds like we're going about to have a gang fight in an alleyway, um, but done in a Broadway style. I, I I like this song a lot. Prince's voice overshadows a little bit in the verses. Um, Apollonia does some great chorus work. That's where you really hear her um, shine. It's a fantastic duet, first and foremost. I really enjoy those synth strings. And if you're listening to on a pair of really good headphones or a pair of good speakers, sometimes you can hear that overdub of Prince's voice that comes out in the lower register. He doesn't do it all throughout the song. It's just... It's, key points in the song. Um, Me being a Prince newbie, uh, this did not take long at all for this song to just hook me right into the ribs. I I do like the fact that it's such a jarring, you got that propulsive intro and then it just goes into now we're walking through the park and and about to have a picnic. So I like that. I I like that little, little transition that he's doing with. Um, So yeah, I, I don't really have a whole lot of notes on this one, but it's, it's a pretty song and I wish that I played it at my wedding. It's a good one. Well, it'd be, it'd be fitting at a wedding with the, uh, not, not classically, but there's some good strings on this one. There's some cello work. Uh, there's a, there's a string section there that is arranged by Lisa and her uh, brother, David, who play, he actually plays the cello on this track. So it's a, I, 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 I do think it, it could be a good, a good wedding song. Eric, how do you feel about track two? Take me with you. That's all right. It, it takes, you know, there's, there's some interesting stuff. Um, I get really hooked when it gets to the, um, I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's just got a really great melody to that hook. Um, interestingly enough, uh, this song was a late addition. It was going to be on Apollonia's album. Uh, apparently once Vanity left, Vanity 6 dissolved. So Apollonia 6 was going to be the name of her project. But uh, they pulled it for this and they cut out uh, the extended version of Computer Blue, which we'll get to. We, this, we can't talk about this album without mentioning that. But that was going to be in here until they, they picked this song and they had to slice Computer Blue in half um, to make room for this. And, um, you know, it's just kind of infectious. It's the, the, the melody gets in your head. Um, and, uh, I really like Apollonia singing in this. It's, it's a little subtle. It's a little like Blondie esque. It's yeah. just really, really like kind of perfect for like, it's a new wavy, honestly. Um, I, I, I like her performance 
quite a bit on this song. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's a simple song about lust, you know, come and touch me in the place that's calling out your name. I mean, beautiful. We should all be so poetic. Um, anyways. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good track too. Hey, best track too. So take it down a notch, right? As we learned from high fidelity, take it down. A notch. Exactly. Take it down a notch. It kind of has some of that psychedelic sound that he has in some of his more, uh, his albums to follow. And um, yeah, it's like psychedelic new wave this track you've got the, the cellos you've got the there's this acoustic strumming throughout it that just is great with the uh, the strings and the horns and that string section is just lush as hell dun, 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 dun. you know it's just it's it's, it's great uh, uh, uh apolina uh, on her how do you print app uh, apolinia apolonia apolonia yes her backup vocals are great on this track i i think they really do add an element to it that it needed and I mean, throughout this album, you've got so many vocal overdubs of just Prince singing over himself. It's it's nice when you hear these other voices put into the mix of which there's quite a bit. But yeah, this track has like this future psych sound to it. Psychedelic sound that I, I love. Um, you're going to hear more of that on the Around the World in the Day, that album. And to Mark's point, those drums that open it up. Uh, yes, it sounds like you've, you know choose your weapon and at such a strange juxtaposition of those drums to the song it goes into, but then it closes out and those damn drums come back and it's just and these kind of tense keyboards, very strange opening and closing to this song. Uh, it, it helps sequence the, the, the album. Well, though, uh, some of these songs outright bleed into each other. Uh, this one, I think, those drums closing out go into the beautiful ones quite well, which is track three. The beautiful ones is what we will talk about next. But I will tell you, Take Me With You is a great track, too. The beautiful ones. dig 
the production on this track. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, there's these like arpeggio synth blasts um, that I guess, you know, given any other band recording an album in 1984 or 86, um, now hearing, you know, the what was typically used at that time would maybe sound a little dated. Um, but uh, was it Wendy or Lisa? Which one is our synth player? Or is it was it both of them? Lisa is a synth player. Yeah, yeah. she, I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest. She's the unsung hero for me on this album. I mean, Prince, of course, but the unsung hero to me is Lisa because um, she is just absolutely rocking out on her synth the whole time. Like I said, she's so many surprises in those synths. Um, and so the, the arpeggio just, just uh, which is usually just very repetitive, it has so much like flair going on to it. I, I love it. Um, the song itself is about, you know, it's, it's a very insecure song. Baby, baby, what's it going to be? Baby, baby, is it is it him or me? You know, don't make me waste my time. Don't make me lose my mind, baby. You know, it's it's uh, that very impatient kind of uh, lover insecurity. Uh, and it was written for Vanity, um, you know, back when they were a thing and before, before she left. Um, and, it, and it still, you know, it still made the cut. Um, Towards the end, he just starts vocal ripping. And one one thing I will say is is Prince. What one thing I love about Prince is he could show off all the time if he wanted to, but most of the time, ninety percent of the time, he actually chooses very subtle things with his voice. He he he's not doing vocal exercises all the time. He's he's just singing the melody in a very almost delicate way. But um, every now and then he shows you what he can do. And towards the end, he just starts ripping. And honestly, in my head, I was like, shit. Guns N' Roses should have covered this. Axl Rose would have done an awesome <laughs> job at this song. Just absolutely shredding, um, screaming, uh, uh, the falsetto, screaming falsetto. It's 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 pretty fun. I mean, this particular track isn't in my top three on this album or anything like that, but um, it's got enough surprises to keep you going. Yeah, no, I, I'd, uh, the, the closing of this song really reaches out and grabs you. Uh, Mark, do you agree? Absolutely. That ending of this song is, uh, makes it an absolute instantaneous. Yes. Even if you're not really digging the R and B style that mostly the song really has growing up. I listened to a lot of the adult contemporary radio station here in Sacramento called Y 92. I don't even know what genre of music that radio station plays in our day and age. But I do recall like listening and hearing such tracks by like Levert and uh, uh, Keith Sweat. So, you know, that type of R&B, not necessarily one of my uh, favorite genres of music. I don't mind it. I don't think it's bad. It's just it takes a little bit for me to get into it. So I do also really enjoy Falsetto Prince, um, as we talked about the song Kiss earlier. Um I, I do like the fact that he shows off his range in this particular song to Eric's point when he's on his knees. Um, so what's it going to be, baby? Do you want him? Do you want me? Uh, Cause I want you. I mean, that is one of my favorite parts of this entire album. Um, that soulful Yelp. I love that in most soul R and B when there are singers all sweaty, really uh, clutching their fist and, you know, with the knees on the ground and 
just pleading, sweating buckets, singing to the rafters. Uh, I like that image in soul music a lot. And whenever it is done effectively, um, that usually just gives me the goosebumps. Um, yeah, if he was James Brown, his assistant would come out and throw the cape over him after the song. <laughs> oh, there's de- exactly. yeah, there's definitely he was influenced by James Brown, obviously, and uh, in some of the music he wrote, but also his performance live. Uh, I'll really get into that when I talk about the uh, "Baby I'm a Star" uh, live version I watched. But yeah, the definitely the, the closing of this track, to your point, Mark, definitely has that. Like, uh, just give it all you got, and you know he's he's gonna he's almost walking off the stage. Nobody's gonna come back and belt out a few right. more. And the last little uh, thing that I wanted to mention is in R and B songs, you you tend to also get a, a spoken word during a breakdown, and uh, you absolutely get that here too. And sometimes it's done to comedic effect, and sometimes it's done effectively. And I think it's more for the latter on this one. I think it's done effectively because Prince, Prince is Prince. He's not fucking around. Hate to say it, but this is a great song. Um, it it's not my typical genre, but I tell you, when it's done well, you have to tip your cap. Yeah, this song is so good that uh, when I first heard it that closing section where he just starts really going for the rafters. And I, I was la- actually like laughing out loud and clapping when I realized it was going on. It's kind of one of those things where the song has been the song, but then that, that closing element with him just screamed the, do you want me? Uh, once you realize what's happening there and there's like these Gary Newman synths that are blaring. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I just, it's it's like a dream synth pop powerhouse. It's uh it's insane. It starts out like it's seductive at first, and then it becomes like life or death, desperation, love. It's awesome. Uh, that the, the yearning that, that that comes out in the climax of this song is hard to find in many albums. And you're right, Eric. Axl Rose could definitely. I I could see this a version of this being on uh, Use Your Illusion too. Or a spaghetti um, incident. Well, just recently I was listening to their version of uh, Since I Don't Have You, so sure. Uh, yeah, that falsetto cracking, it just gets me. It's the ultimate rising action. And at the same time, the guitar is going nuts. The guitar is just wiling out. He's just shredding and just strangling the neck of that guitar during that closing section. The, this song is, the entire song is great, but the climax of the song is what does it for me. Uh, this is, has a power that's it's hard to fathom. And uh, like what's awesome about it is you're you're overcome with the emotion, I think, that he is displaying. <laughs> and then if you're listening to this properly, which is an album beginning to end, it goes into Computer Blue, <laughs> which is just it's it's a song into itself of a whole bunch of other weird emotions. Which is kind of like it, it, it's almost like this, you know, weird science. The song coming after uh, the beautiful ones. I, I I love the audacity of putting these two songs back to back. The Computer Blue track four.
Mark, how did you feel about the programming of Computer Blue? And I thank you uh, for reminding me of what song I was thinking about. And it is a weird science type song. It totally is. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I actually do really like this song. Um, so first you get Wendy and Lisa about to take a bath together. And I'm sure Prince is already sitting in that bath waiting for them to come in. Um, one thing in particular that I really do enjoy, it breaks into that 80s montage music where it reminds me of like a group is going to work together to sell all the products needed to save the museum from like an evil landlord. It just has that like kind of effect. Um, it great song, great orchestration, great arrangement. Um, I really also enjoy the tornado guitar that rolls through the middle section uh, before the synths transition into like this walking through a dark alleys montage. Um, it's, it's a complete ride. Uh, it sits squarely in the middle of the album. And the drums at this point, it is like Prince drums. I that's If I hear these types of drums, drums in any other song, it's Prince drums. It, I'm sure that other artists have used it before and have used it after, but I'm telling you, that drum machine sound is just... It, it, it's a paintbrush that, only, uh, that I'll always attribute to, to Prince. It's a good song, though. Good track. And... I'm sure that you guys will talk about the 12 minute Willy Wonka ride through Prince land. Um, but that <laughs> both of them are great, but uh, this one here, it cuts right to the meat of the, of the bone of it. So I, I do prefer kind of the shorter version, but that hallway speech version you can find on the deluxe edition. That one, like I said, is the Willy Wonka through Paisley park. Uh, so yeah, that's my two cents on this one. Yes, you are correct. It does, it does open up with, uh, I believe, Wendy and Lisa talking to each other. And I actually should have mentioned this the last track, but I'll mention it now. This used to be a bit we used to do. Uh, one note I wanted to make about the beautiful ones before I let Eric talk about Computer Blue is that uh, people have said it's either written about Susanna Melvoin, who's Wendy's sister, twin sister that Prince was dating for a while. And it was a song about him trying to woo her away from her boyfriend. And of course, Prince was dating the twin sister of one of his guitar players. Then it was said years later in an interview with Ebony, Prince said that actually the beautiful ones was about Denise Matthews, also known as vanity. All that aside, because I didn't want to forget to bring it up. Eric, what do you think about computer blue? To so nobody's surprise, it's my favorite song on the album. Uh, yes, it does sound like weird science. It sounds like Thomas Dolby. Uh, it sounds like uh, that very sci-fi uh, electronic new wave of the era. Um, and uh, it, I, I, I will go ahead, Mark, and I will tell you that on a playlist I made, I just I put the album Purple Rain, and I replaced this version with the hallway version. <laughs> The 12-minute version, it speaks to me. It speaks to me. So you like the little Wendy and Lisa doing the robo-dominatrix? Hello, Wendy. Hello, Lisa. Like the, the emotionless computer? Well, great. You get that two more times throughout the song. Uh, you get a little bit extra, a lot extra music. Um, and that part you're saying, it sounds like it's uh, scoring you as you walk through an alley. In my head, you're like driving a light cycle through a cyberpunk like cityscape. And you get that for like three minutes, four minutes in the song. This song has like 
three or four movements. It's it's uh, co- composition wise, it is an achievement. It is incredible, and in both versions, the short and the long version, I just like it so much. I want more of it. Um, songs a blast. Lyrically, of course, I'm gonna make connections to a lot of like what industrial music writes about is like man and machine, especially when he's talking about like. Uh, you know, the, uh, the programming's wrong. Something's wrong with the programming. Uh, uh, that, that kind of stuff is, is, uh, is my bread and butter. So I, (laughs) I appreciate it. There's a lot of guitar shredding over like just these synths fucking it's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't recommend the song enough. Um, it's a blast. And, uh, uh, yeah, composition-wise, I think it's top-notch for the album. And uh, one thing I will say is uh, one of the Vault songs is called Father's Song. It's in the movie. It's It looks like Clarence Williams III, uh, Twin Peaks Clarence Williams III, is playing a, a song on the piano. It's actually Prince, and it's this song, and it's the melody of Computer Blue, um, but just done on a beautiful kind of piano, just a one part of the melody. Kind of done repetitively so that that's on the vault if you want to hear just that it's, it's very pretty uh, so yeah computer blue uh take it to the bank it's, it's wonderful yep so yeah and i'm glad you guys both like this song it'd be hard not to i mean some people might be like ah, i don't think cheesy is the word it definitely is of the era uh, in the in the 80s there we we were mixing sex in computers all the time uh that's, that's where it all began. We do it to this day. But the playfulness of this song is part of the whole package to it. I think the playfulness of the song is great. Um, you know, Prince could be serious. He was always, he was always, he could be serious, but was always ready to have a good time. And also could be sexy and weird all at once. His track is funny. It's sexy. It's weird. And also, it's got a great guitar breakdown. That guitar breakdown in the middle, where it it, uh, it kind of links up there with the uh, the keyboard, and they start harmonizing together. I didn't expect Ooh, that. I love that. It goes on a journey. Yeah, yeah. And they 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 kind of like coalesce together, and there's some rising action that that then has this like never ending story <laughs> like ascension to it. Uh, it. It just it gets me. Um, That's my cyberpunk uh, cyberpunk uh, interlude, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's like a never ending story labyrinth Blade Runner thing going on here, uh, and it's, it's like then all, all at the same time though I kind of get this vibe of like a computer chasing you like a TVC one five or a Requiem for a Dream scene. Uh, this is basically Thomas Dolby done right. Um, it's 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 a wild song and it's crazy you know yeah like Eric you mentioned there's the longer version of it and. It, this song started in bits and pieces back in the seventies. His dad helped write the main melody. Um, his dad was a musician and I, that song just like evolved over the years and the revolution helped him helped get it to this, this version of it. And they made a 12 minute long version. They chopped it in half to make room for other stuff in the album. And uh, the only problem I have with this song is it in the movie, it really should be, some kind of a uh, nightmare scene where a computer's chasing Prince around the room or something with the uh, 1984 Tron-esque computer imagery. But unfortunately that's not what you get. It's, it, I, I, I love that it's a high watermark for you when I, 
I mean, I think it's great, but it's it's definitely out of left field as far as what's going on in this record. Um, it 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 manages to fit and also be out of left field at the same time. I don't know how it pulls it off, but and I love those 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 opening you know Wendy and Lisa dialogue do together. Wendy and Lisa, you can make a whole podcast about them. I mean, really, if you wanted to, you could because they did release some music together. But that whole dynamic was very interesting. I love it. I love that in, in Prince's world inside the revolution was Wendy and Lisa, who I believe were lovers at some point, And they were in the, in the middle of a male dominated rock world were kind of part, a huge part. Like you said, Eric, Lisa was the unsung hero to you. Wendy's guitar playing is an awesome part of this record. Uh, you know, a lot of the rhythm guitars, it's, they, they definitely are some kind of, uh, Prince folk heroes as far as the whole Prince story goes. Yes. And they get a, a fun little, a fun little, uh, center stage on this track. So computer blue top marks from the pot, like a whole team. And I love the way this track ends. It goes right into the next song. Um, the, the the track starts to to slow down a little bit and it kind of has this teeter totter like almost like the song is breaking down and it goes into a very well-known Prince song for a few reasons. Darling Nikki. Hey y'all, this is Duke from Violet Duke and the New Rebellion, Bakersfield's number one Prince parody band. Over the year, you may have loved some of our songs during our residency at the Oildale Marriott. Songs including Piss. No particular tree that I'm comfortable with. I'm just doing you so <laughs> that was a great one. And who could forget about our other classic, Let's Go Swayze? Oh no, let's go. Let's go Swayze. Let's watch Roadhouse. Let's watch Oil Break. Let's dance a little dirty. Let's go. Of course, Little Red Crawdad was another banger. I've got to catch this little red crawdad. Oh, baby, you're much too fast. This little red crawdad. I'm going to make you into a good breakfast. Yummy. <laughs> and who could forget everybody's favorite? Wind gloves dry. How can I walk to my mailbox? There's snow and it is so cold. Maybe I dropped them in a puddle. Maybe I shouldn't have rolled that snowball. Maybe I better ask my mother. But she doesn't like it when I cry. Oh, I can't go outside my brother until I'm done waiting for my gloves to dry. Well, I could go down memory lane all day, and wouldn't you know I'd love it. 
but I have more concerns to talk about, more pressing matters. You see, maybe you've heard about the initiative launched by the Pod Like a Whole podcast. That's right, the three hosts there, Steve, Eric, Mark. They they don't like me very much. They don't like what I'm doing to Prince's name. Uh, they don't like the way I'm ripping off his songs and changing the lyrics to something very, very stupid compared to the thoughtfulness and intelligence that went into the original songs. But hey, it's a free country. I can do this if I want. But you know what they're going to do? If they earn enough money over their Patreon, they're going to buy out the Oildale Marriott, the very one that me and my band will be rehearsing in, and they're going to lock all the doors with us inside and set it on fire and burn us to the ground. Okay, This is an outrage. Do not give to their Patreon. I mean... Sure, it's a great way to kill time. You're going to learn a lot about music by listening to their show and just have fun hanging out with charismatic and, and entertaining co-hosts, but do not give to their Patreon. I mean, sure, they'll continue to give out their excellent content for free, regardless if people put in or not, but do not give to their Patreon. I don't want to die. I, I like this life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist When I saw little Nikki grind Derek, how do you feel about darling Nikki? And don't, let's listen Let's not push the, let's not push the limits on our, uh Mature mature audience label on the podcast tonight. Please don't tell me how you really feel. Just tell me how you feel about the song. I mean, I thought this would be a great time to unleash our new feature on the show called Steve Eric and Mark Circle Jerk. Uh, well, no, I, 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 no, I thought we agreed. I thought we agreed it was going to be called the uh, the the pitch tent or the, the you know <laughs> the pitched tent. Uh, yeah, this this song got a lot of attention from uh, Al Gore's ex-wife Tipper. It was a real buzzkill when it came to music. Let me tell you, uh, Jello Biafra could tell you stories. Uh, Jello could tell you some stories. She was getting on uh, Rob Halford's case. That lady was something. Yeah, she really hated the bad language in the, in the songs. And I mean, this one, hey, first first verse, you know, we saw her masturbating with a magazine right in the hotel lobby. Um, anyways, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's. It, this 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 song would be like your uh, well, I always I always reference this but the, in your in your hero's story this is when they're hit, they're they're you know maybe hitting rock bottom uh, although it's not it's not meant to be shameful in any way but this is this is he's not pursuing Apollonia this time he he finds a sex worker and uh, just has a great night he has a great night that's what the song's about um, I do like the the music in this um, the drums are doing this little tom-tom thing which is kind of burlesque which thematically fits the guitar is kind of slimy kind of kind of grizzled um, vocal metal melodies all over the place and um, Oh, forget about it. End of the song when he starts shrieking and the double bass drum comes in. I mean, look at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, a, that's some blast beats if I've ever heard them. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun song and it ends with a little bas- backward masking uh, choir. It's, a, it's quite a, very simple, but quite a composition. Uh, this is a, a very sleazy song, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, it, it never, it's never negative. It's never negative. 
All right, Blast Beats. Now you're speaking my language, and I'll definitely have more to say about that. Mark, how do you feel about Nikki? This song did take a little bit for me to actually uh, stick to my ribs, and it was... Well, you're let's face it, Mark, you're a Puritan. This stuff makes you uncomfortable. Uh, it's also the sparsest sounding song initially. Uh, lyrically, I think it's hilarious. I, I remember actually hearing about this song actually before hearing the Prince song. And that was, I think, Foo Fighters had covered it on some B-side. Radio play. And uh, the drums sound as if they were recorded two rooms over. And I think part of this song, it, it it does personify some of the things that um, do bother me about this album. And that's kind of the, the production when I want it to be a little bit meatier, a little bit bassier, a little bit more on the low end. Um, I'm missing that with that said though, this is a great song. It just took me a little bit in order for me to get into it because it just starts out like it would need a little more time in the oven. But as soon as it gets going, you've got Prince's, yeah, 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 scream where it sounds like the record skipping. Um, and then, yeah, Eric pointed out the, the blast beats, the Slayer drums kick in on the way out the, of the song. Prince enters the Black Lodge and starts singing backwards. Um, you don't really have a melody you can necessarily dance to, but it's not one that is doing... It's doing a lot of genre bending in this song, and I, I do really appreciate that aspect of it. Musically, lyrically... It's what you would expect Prince to sing about. I mean, he likes talking and singing about sex. It is in his DNA. It is in uh, his his musical catalog. It's all about love and have, making love and having sex. And this particular one is just about having sex casually. And I, you know, Prince is a rock star, and it, all five two of him. It seems that he dresses like he you know, shops at the blouse barn, but you know, he just has that persona that he can walk into a room and you have to hold your wife or girlfriend a little tighter because he could be coming for him and they would probably leave with him. So yeah, honestly it's, it is a good song. I mean, I'm, I'm still knocked out by how high of a quality of a record this is in terms of the songwriting and musical style because it throws you curveballs, And this one here is a curveball and, once you kind of get into the whole rhythm of what's going on here, um, it's still a home run. A lot of baseball analogies. Mark, I Mark, I don't disagree with you. I actually in my in all my notes, I have a, and actually there's some moments where the production is, is 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 so innovative, but I don't have any notes about the bass because for some reason it, the it, the low end is almost non-existent. And, um, I do agree with you that, that it, it would be int- even the Paisley park uh, remastered version. They don't really bring it up that much. Um, that there was, there's bass playing on most of these songs. There's one song in particular we'll get to where it was purposely left out and that's fine. But in general, even when there's a bass playing for, for, for like a, 
funky soul kind of music, it's very strange that it wasn't given at least some, you, you got to be able to, you should be able to feel it. And um, still it's a classic without it. And as you said, the songwriting kind of makes up for it, but I would be curious if the bass was given its due um, on this album, what, what, what kind of difference that would make. Um, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good, it's good to point that out. I mean, it's not, it's not like Injustice for All, the great Metallica album where they allegedly turned the bass down because they were hazing Jason Newstead or some such. It's just the production on that album is just bizarre. Um, tinny, if you will. Uh, now maybe is it because the style of music that was this new wave ramped up funk, uh, did they want to focus everybody's attention elsewhere besides the bass? I don't know, but they're definitely, the low end is definitely not the lowest of the low end as it could be on this album. Interesting choice. Um, yeah, I think the sequencing from computer blue to this song is incredible. Uh, this song has been covered by many people, like Mark mentioned, the Foo Fighters. One band of note, and I have been Googling, I've been looking through, I went through like old band flyers. I cannot remember their goddamn name. But there was this goth rock metal band in the uh, Sacramento area in the late 90s, early aughts that I saw opened up for Luxed. <laughs> and uh, they did a version of this song, and it was terrible. Um, but it definitely... There, there, there was some content band imagery synergy going on there. Uh, yeah, not good. Uh, there's this, this song. It's interesting because, I mean, this guy later turned into a Jehovah's Witness, which isn't to say that Jehovah's Witnesses can't have sex. They just don't care about birthdays. But it, it is strange. He could be so sexual at times, and later he decided to be much more spiritual. But I, I think even at his most spiritual, the guy never turned his, you know, turned away from uh, carnal knowledge, if you will. Uh, I think it was always still part of uh, the discussion oh. for Prince. <laughs> I'm sure etched into those thighs. Yeah. But, I mean, to the subject matter as well, though, uh, there's a website I follow called Return of the Rock. And what they always do is they... Uh, they always pick two artists and they're like, do you like this guy or this guy? It's totally stupid. But this song in particular makes me think of recently. They said, hey, man, Zappa or Prince? Who do you got? And it just made me think of, uh, I don't know if you guys listen to much Frank Zappa, but Frank Zappa and Prince actually had a lot of similarities. And a track like this really brings it out. Um, there's the fact that they were both multi-instrumentalists. And they're basically virtuosos on most of the instruments they played. Uh, they were prolific until they died. Um, they played various different styles. They could do, you know, Zappa could weave in and out of jazz and funk and rock. Prince can do all those and then even touch on, you know, some new wave and, dare I say, metal at times, like the end of this track. They both didn't give a shit about commercialism. And they both also 
they would just do whatever their muses like they would follow their muses and um, you know to, to different degrees uh, Frank Zappa never became like a pop star but everybody knows Frank Zappa Prince did want to become a pop star dude it was interesting Prince didn't care about being commercial he would write whatever songs he wanted to write but he knew how to take what he was doing and also say oh I could also you know make a I could turn this into a, a, a pop album if I wanted to but at the end of the day, like I'm doing what I want to do. This is still my sound. And I bring all that up just because the weird sex humor and different musical styles in this track, it could definitely be a Frank Zappa song. If you were to take this track and have like a voice that talked like this and sung, uh, you know, and she wanted to uh, had a magazine in there, that, that it could totally be a Frank Zappa song. The, uh, the overtness of the sex on this and some bonus tracks that we'll talk about, there is a sense of humor to it. I can't, it, it, it can't just be like, like he thought he was writing some deep song. Like it's like too short of, <laughs> of pop rock. Yeah, like, no, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely, he knew what he was doing. He was a funny dude. And uh, this is definitely, yeah, this is not too short. This is, uh, he's not being serious. I don't think, I mean, this is probably a, a real story. But the way in which he tells it is kind of comedic. Uh, I, the production on the drums is definitely, you know, he he made that 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 warehouse into a studio, and and uh, I think it really comes out on this track. They're organic sounding, but they definitely do sound like they're two doors down, probably intentional. You really hear the warehouse studio in this on this track. Uh, back back to the whole comedic element to it. I do think that one great thing on it is the guitar kind of like slinks in and out and the guitar lines kind of have like a reaction to the lyrics. He'll sing a verse and the guitar kind of goes like, wah, wah, wah. you know, uh, his, gu- yeah, his guitar is doing the life cycle of a penis. In the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it adds a fun, fun element to it. Uh, yeah. And, and the drums, man, those end kick drums, all this we've had we've had this fun goofy sex rom song and then i you could tell me dave lombardo's playing those drums at the end of this track and i'd say eh, it might be dave it might be you know they might have got done with rain and blood and slayer had some off time it's just wild they inserted those blast beats into this track i love it i hey, there's there's times in this album where there's guitar shredding like you wouldn't believe and then on this track there is straight up blast beats it's awesome i don't remember um this part of the movie. Uh, but I like if they were playing it live, um, you know, drummers notoriously always just make O faces while they play in general. And so they should have just cut to the drummer, just double basing with his big O O face at the end of this song. It would have been perfect. Thematically perfect. Yeah. And, and there's, there's all of that. And we've talked about how this is a, a comedic song and it has some great instrumentation on it. And, you know, he says it ends with that. Thank you for a funky timeline, which I love. I mean, his name was Prince and he was funky. So I'm glad he brought that up. But this song, you know, everybody knows this song. And it still ends with some weird ass back masking. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 bizarre. Like the end of this track sounds like experimental music. It, and did you guys look up uh, what it says? Uh, I did. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a chorus singing and backward. And I did not write down what they said, but I did write, Uh, they sampled it in Tupac's hearts of Ben. 
<laughs> it sings, hello, how are you? Fine, because I know the Lord is coming soon, coming soon. That's how this track ends. If you if you play that back, if you play the the back masking forwards, that's what it says. Hey, it goes back to the first track. It's the world's ending. Apocalypse is coming. Just, you know, you know, fuck a fuck a, a sex worker uh, in those, those, those <laughs> final twilights. Go for it. That's a great message to remind you of when you get into the next song, which is one of the top 10 all time pop songs of all time. Uh, based on numerous lists, all of them. Google when doves cry, and it's going to say top 10 pop song of all time. Serious man. You don't do a lot of interviews. You're very sweet, but you're very much to yourself. Okay. And shy? Mm, I wouldn't say. Okay. So, I mean, when you go on stage, you're a different person. So, But off stage, you're very quiet and very mysterious. What is that all about? I'm just that way around you. <laughs> well, what good it was so. But it's interesting because on stage it's all out there, and privately you're a very modest man. Mm-hmm. Or mm. quiet. Uh, I have my quiet moments. This is one of them. And I did what I have never done before, which is to actually print these lyrics out. Some of them, I'm, 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 since the record is so new, I'm learning some of them. I got, got some of them memorized. Um, who, it, who gave you the lyrics, though? I've seen some really strange rewrites of my yeah. stuff. Well, I've I'm, seen one time they uh, said uh, the lyrics to When Doves Cry was uh, dig, if you will, the picture of me, Marvin Gaye, and the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and know there, what? And then there was another one. <laughs> this person will go unnamed. Yes. Uh, she didn't speak the English language too good. Right. Uh, she had a really cute daughter, so that's why we was acquaintances. Yeah. <laughs> but she swore up and down, little red Corvette was pay the rent, collect. Yeah. <laughs> it gets a firm grip of life and death, and they fully understand both. For example, you, you had how many birthdays? Me? What do you think? Well, I know that you had one birthday. Yeah. You were born on a certain day. You had no more birthdays after that. So I don't celebrate birthdays, so that stops me from counting days, which stops me from counting time, which allows me to still look the same as I did 10 years ago, just like that lady did.
Mark, do you agree? I absolutely agree. Uh, when Doves Cry is one of those songs that uh, is probably as iconic as anything that anyone in the 80s at that time, it was the Michael Jackson, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen show, and then of course Prince. And this song solidifies his place in not only rock and roll history, but in just popular culture history. Um, how I came across the song was once again, not the original version of his, I think in 1996 in the Boz Lerman, uh, Romeo and Juliet, um, even though it wasn't princing it, I think it was Jesus people in the actual movie singing it. Um, yeah. Oh God. I can't remember. Was it John Leguizamo? God, no. Like <laughs> I, I just vaguely remember that it it had a part in that movie and you know, I you have to excuse me cause I didn't make the research. It just had that part in my brain of the lyrics to this song had a, a, a part in that movie. Um, in terms of how the, the song itself sounds uh, and things that I enjoy was the spring springing drums. Uh, and you got the imagery of Prince just crawling on the floor does it in the music video is getting out of the bath but i could absolutely seeing he bringing that performance of him crawling on the floor of the studio while he was singing uh the melody has hooks and those hooks are barbed and you just can't remove them from your head after listening to the song just even once um if you're walking down the street it is guaranteed to change the gait of your walk because of that rhythm um and my favorite part in the music video Prince is wearing that hat and that silk suit and every all of his backup dancers are kind of dressed very similar. It's that hat that's kind of cocked over his eyebrow, a little bit of a veil. And uh, Dr. Fink, though, I love his commitment to still wearing those scrubs. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, and the guitar work, I, I think it deserves to be a little higher in the mix. And, um, you know, I've heard Steve say a couple times that those solos, they just kind of are buried in the mix. That's the one of the things that frustrate me about this this album is just like, man, you are such a talented guitar player, you know, bring that shit up. Um, yeah, but his his vocals are center center stage. He's an excellent vocalist, but man, this song is something else. It is such a great classic song. Yes, I'm sure Eric agrees. If he doesn't, there's something wrong. Oh yeah, no, it's it's amazing. The song's great. Um, what I do disagree with is it doesn't bother me that the guitar solos are hidden in the mix. I think, weirdly, I actually think that gives some edge to his to his style because it's not like a I, I, this time in the '80s, every fucking rock band had so like some guy doing a fucking spotlight solo in the middle of the song. I'm sure some of those are very good, Steve. They're they're very good solos. But he's just like, yeah, this is what the fucking music sounds like. There's some shredding going on in the background. That's, you know, um, I don't know. So that it doesn't bother me. You're right. They're, they're, if it was, if they, if he got a spotlight, they boosted that up. You'd probably hear some crazy shit. But um, he was just, you know, the in a way, it's kind of punk rock. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's just part of the backbone of this song. Um, there's some shredding. Uh, this, this is an exception to the. Uh, they, there's purposely no bass in this song. Um, and uh, I, I, he's singing, he's um, double tracking his vocals throughout this whole thing. 
and he does a low vocal and a high vocal. He's doing harmonies. So I think in his head, he's, he's, he's providing the baseline with the lower harmony. And every now and then you hear this like vocal part. Mm -hmm. And that's meant to kind of be an arpeggio bass synth kind of, but done through his voice. Um, doesn't bother me in this song. This song needs a little airiness to it. That's why we all love it. Uh, when doves cry, I mean, it's just, you know, that airiness, you just, you just see doves flying through, uh, you know, drapes, open window drapes. Uh, it's a lovely song. Mark, to your point, uh, actor Quindon Tarver played one of the characters in Romeo and Juliet and sang when doves cry. So there you go. Uh, I don't know who that is, but he's, he's the one that sang that in that movie. Um, this song is, 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 it's fantastic. And the lyrics are so good because it's a love, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a love song, but he's connecting it to his relationships with his parents. It's very deep. And it's, it, you know, maybe I'm just too demanding, just like my father, too bold, or just like my mother, she's never satisfied. Like he's dealing. I love those. I love so those good. lines, by the so way. Good. I think those lines are great. Yeah. It's, it's so relatable, so good. And, kind of connecting it to, to, to love. Um, and, uh, I, the organ rip at the end sounds like Beethoven from Bill and Ted's just, just playing in the mall, the mall, uh, the, the keyboard center in the mall at the end. <laughs> so good. Um, and it, listen, Mark, you and I may, you and I may have to go head to head on this, but like the seven inch single, get the fuck out of here. The, the wedding version where they cut it half, like down to two minutes. Get it, kick it out the right the fucking window. I give me the whole thing all the way. Give me the whole thing all the way through. The thing about this this album, the, the the full version of these songs, the album versions. I love that too. That the album versions are the extended versions, but uh, for the most part. But but they're just they're just locked in. They're just jamming. It's in at at some point it's a pop song, and then it crosses the three minute threshold and suddenly becomes this like Parliament funk song, and uh, which I absolutely appreciate so uh high watermark the second high watermark for for me with windows cry oh yeah it's, it's hard you can't deny the song it's one of the greatest songs ever written that's not hyperbole the numbers back it up people but this is definitely one that's been with us all our lives it's kind of like an otherworldly sounding song i mean it, it's hard to even like talk about it because what do you guys think out of all the songs we've talked about on this podcast, I think this might be the best selling album we've ever talked about. And this was the number one song off this album. More than the wall is prop. Uh, yes. What do you think, Mark? This sell more than the wall. In terms of its popularity. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, this is by far the most popular album that we've ever discussed. Period. Yeah. And this, this song's at oh, the top yeah. of this album. Yeah. And, you know, and then, I mean, this, this damn song, uh, it was so popular that it, it could not get the number one spot because of this track. That's how popular it was. And uh, it's funny. Yeah, I have to beg a wedding DJ to play Let's Dance. But this this one, you're guaranteed to hear at least two tracks off this album at any given wedding. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's just it's, it's crazy how good this song is. And that the fact it's so popular, but it has so much weird shit going on in it. Uh You've got the fact there's no bass. Sometimes they did add bass live. Um, the fact there's these like weird drum production echoes. I mean, do you guys hear that? There's little like tinks and slinks and boinks. 
to the drum production, like bounces off the room. It almost makes you feel like you're an acid. Uh, <laughs> I do like that. It, it Even though there's a lot of this, it's pre that, that there is some program drums on this. They do add some of that, like, like, you know, drumstick clinking off a, of a bell off of cymbal or something like that, just to give you that live feel. Yeah. It's great. There's the, there's tons of multi-tracks and the vocals going on. And there's so many different princes back to your Axl Rose comment. Axl definitely used this style in the easier illusion albums. There's a, how can I, you just leave me here standing spoken word version. And then there's like the sung versions. There's a the falsetto version. Uh, there's there's tons of princes on this song on all different levels. It's uh, vocally. Uh, and speaking of which, I think that Axl Rose got his colonial captain look from the November Rain video from Prince. Uh, definitely is where he got that puffy shirt. And pre David predated the pirate shirt episode of Seinfeld, so it had to definitely be where he got it from. Uh, I shared it with you guys, but I should just bring it up for the podcast was just today. I was at my parents' house and they found a box of stuff I had when I was a kid and it had a mad magazine issue with purple rain reviewed. And there's a, there's a little panel where, uh, Prince is talking to Apollonia and, and, you know, she says, why do you still live with your parents? And he says, my mom's the only one that can iron a, <laughs> like a pirate shirt or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I definitely think on this track, he was trying to show that he can out hit out crossover Michael Jackson. But at the same time, he was also showing that he could also, you know, Michael is a great singer. Uh, I think he helped with writing the songs, but he didn't play his own instruments for the most part. And he shows that, you know, he can, I think Prince made it a point to show he could do it all. And he shows that on this track, which has a great guitar solo. Speaking of which Michael Jackson, who had Eddie Van Halen on Beat It. Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. You passed away, and we will miss you in all of your guitar solos and smiling while you did it. But Prince himself was his own Eddie Van Halen for his songs. And uh, this song doesn't have call and responses that much, but they have these great sections where Prince will take uh, like the lead verse and or, I'm sorry, the revolution will take like the lead verse and Prince will sing behind it. It's a great effect during the second half of the song with the how can you just leave me here standing sections. And... The, the third round of the verses introduces like this wall of synths and I just the intensity goes way up it's crazy like that the way this song has all these weird sounds that bounce off each other and build uh, it's it's it makes me want to pull what's left of my hair out with how great it is and to your point Eric at the end after you have the dun 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 ah dun 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 ah they, they stick in this keyboard solo where yes it sounds like uh it sounds it sounds like you've got Beethoven in 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 Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in the Mall, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't. He just like went and stuck that in there. It's totally classical, totally classical keyboard playing, while he's got these falsettos going over it, 
It's fantastic. It's a cathartic. It's a release. It's oh, just such a good song. It's all this, Prince. Uh, this, 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 has this song a- is all Prince. This is one of the songs yeah. on here where he recorded everything. It's insane yeah. that he did all, everything on this song is him. So this has a lyric that I would like to use in my professional life. If I'm next time I have to do a presentation, dig, if you will, the picture. Oh yeah. And then, and then, and then provide my mission statement for the day. <laughs> that, oh that, God. I dig, if you will. I love that. I love that lyric. That's one it's of so the, good. that's a great opening line. Uh, it just paints such a picture. It's so Prince, you know, and, and also, I mean, that, that, that lyric right there, you don't get, that Charlie Murphy tales of Prince sketch without that line. That whole attitude is just the whole Prince mystique. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Great song. I, it's one of the, it, it, before any of us really knew what was going on with Prince, we all heard that song. And I love the fact and the idea that in the eighties, this song was on the radio all the time. And like our parents were exposed to it. Bullshit teachers we used to have back in grade school heard it. Uh, jocks that didn't know their ass from a, a, a synthesizer, whatever I mean by that. I just, it's such, it's such a crazy song to be a crossover hit. I love it. It's a wonderful track. All right. That concludes part one of our two-part discussion of Prince's Purple Rain here on Pod Like a Hole. Join us next week as we talk about the rest of Side 2 of the album, as well as talk to the Sly Dog podcast for a little bit more Prince history. Please come back and we can all discuss the majesty of the title track off of Purple Rain might be the best ballad of all time. In the meantime, we hope that we and Prince have brought you closer to Purple Pop.